2 Samuel chapter 23. In chapter 22, David uh, is assessing the answered prayers in his life. And then by the time you get to chapter 23, I'm going to look at the first few verses out of this chapter, probably the first eight verses, but just focus in on one text and we'll be referring to it throughout the message. But uh, when you get to the first eight verses, we see the comments that he makes in the final days of his life, hours of his life. And then it goes back after verse eight to the mighty men of David. Sometimes when you read your Bible, do not make the mistake that as you read, you automatically assume that is the chronological order of everything. And it's divided into chapters and verses for our benefit, but sometimes it's a reflection back on prior events. So as David is dying, the mighty men, they served him up to his death and they served him during a trying time in his life. So don't look at it and try to put it in a chronological order the way that it's, that it's recorded because you can get things turned around. Now you say, why is that significant? Well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping in the near future to give somewhat of a prophecy update. And when you look at things prophetically, if you just read the Bible in the order that it's recorded for our ease of reading, then you would get things turned around by the prophetic order of things as well. So he is dealing with the fact that we come down in this verses one through eight into the, low, the last few hours and days of David's life. David had some type of an illness. What it was, I don't know. Uh, he got very cold. It could have been a circulation problem, lack of blood flow, could have been, been a poor heart condition. We don't know what it was, but he got extremely cold and his circulation began to fall away. But that left him time to say some things before he left. We don't have a choice in the matter. We don't know when we'll go. By the law of statistics, about half of the people here today, somewhere between 40 to 50% of the people in this congregation, when it comes time to die, you do know you're gonna die, don't you? Paint it up, fix it up, patch it up, you're gonna die. Not gonna get out of this world without dying. And uh, I was talking to an individual one day, Candy and I, that we were doing business with. He said, you're morbid. I said, no, I'm, I'm realistic. You, you have to prepare to die. You know, because after death, we meet the Lord. So if you're prepared to die, you can be prepared to meet the Lord. So here he's given this opportunity where he has time to reflect back on some things that he would like to say. So you have this setting. He is dying, he's weak in body, but he's still able to talk. Today, with many of the diseases that we have, we now have medications that it is wonderful to help with pain, but also the downside of that is in the final days and hours, sometimes you have to make a choice. Your loved one has to make a choice. Will they do something to help with the pain? Or will they take medication to relieve the pain, but it will also bring them to a point that they can't communicate the way that they would like to communicate. Well, during this time, they didn't have that. So there was a lot, a lot of occasions where there were those times as they were leaving this world that they could express what they wanted to say. So now you've got the setting. Look in verse one. Now these be the last 
words of David. Underline that phrase, last words. David, the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing up out of the earth by, clearing, by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet, underline the word yet, he hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial, which is another way of saying those who have served the devil or Baal, the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. And then he starts in verse eight with the mighty men. Let me stop reading right there. Do you realize the final words that someone has to say that those very well could be the most powerful and meaningful words of their entire life? They can make more impact on a family than anything else. The last words, the final words. And David recorded his final words for us to see because I suppose if we do have that opportunity and there's some things that we would like to say, we would like to try to sum up our life. Now bear in mind, it's a chore for him to speak. But he bears the burden of his life and he bears his heart in the final hours of his life and says, this is what I have to say before I die. Those words are important. I was in the hospital one time making a visit with one of our dear people that was leaving this world. It was a slow walk home for them. They had struggled for days to make their crossing and they had gotten to the point where they were somewhat comatose and they were looking for any, any minute for things to turn around until that soon they would be in the presence of the Lord. And can I add this? Death doesn't sound bad and heaven doesn't sound bad to somebody that's right with God after you go through so much. And they were ready to go. So I'm in the room when suddenly I'm interrupted by one of the medical staff and they said, preacher, there's somebody that would like to see you and the family said, you need to go see them. They were just down the hall. I had never met the lady. I knew nothing about her. I didn't even know her name at that point. All I knew was that there was someone that wanted me to come in and when I walked in and spoke to her and her voice was so, so faint as she was nearing death too. And the minute that she spoke, I felt the power of the Holy Ghost. And I said, do you want me to pray with you? And she said, no, I've already got all my prayers answered. 
I'm about to go. She said, soon I'll be in the presence of the Lord. And she said, I just wanted someone here so that I could tell them what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. She had taken no medication. She was making her crossing. She described what a precious child that she had lost to death earlier in life. That the child, she could see the child. She talked about the garment that they had prepared for her and was getting ready to put on her. I remember, I remember, I mean, just distinctly as though it happened yesterday. I remember one of the things she said, she said, they're slipping the garment on me now, preacher. And I can't hardly describe it to you. She said, but it's so white and bright that it's almost blinding to my eyes, but it feels as smooth as butter on my skin. And I feel refreshed within. And she said, there is a wave that is blowing over my soul and I feel like it's blowing in my face and I can see the brightness of God on the horizon and soon I'll be with the Lord. I stood there and wept as she spoke and the more she talked about it, the more I wanted to go with her right then. In a few moments, she said, I know you have others to see. She said, but I just wanted to give you a record and let you know heaven is worth it all, preacher. Heaven is worth it all. When I started out, I got to the door and I heard her voice. She said, preacher, and I turned around and said, yes, ma'am. She said, by the way, always remember this. Dying people tell no lies. You know what she was saying? She was saying of all times, I'm not gonna lie about this. I'm facing God and I'm facing the truth. And the truth of the matter is that I know there is a better place. Now, I didn't have to have her testimony to know there's a heaven. I already know there's a heaven. But it's good to have a witness. A dear preacher friend of mine had gone into a coma battling cancer. His boy was a preacher, suddenly awakened from that time of being unresponsive. And he called his boy at his bedside and he said, son, it's real, it's real. Go tell him, it's real. Thank God for it, it is real. I see uh, Jim and Teresa Payne got to make it back with us today. Jimmy sings a song and it blesses my heart every time I hear it. He sings a song. I believe Ivan Parker was the first one to record it, but he sings a song of a loved one that is passing. And the simple phrase of it is this, it's true. It's true. Let me tell you something, folks. It is true. David says, I'm at the end of my life and I've come to tell you, it's true. Everything that God has said, you can make on it and you can count on it because it's true. He starts by giving us the introduction. He simply introduces this wonderful message that he's giving to those that are left behind by telling them this. He said, I want you to know who I am. I'm David, the son of Jesse. He said, I am the one that is lifted on high. I am the one that was anointed by God. He said, I am the sweet psalmist. So he's making it clear, not that he's taking credit for what he's done, What he's doing is giving God credit for what God has done for him. 
Is there anybody here this morning that God lifted you up when you couldn't lift yourself up? That he raised you up out of a place from sin, out of the horrible pit. He lifted you up and not only did he lift you up, David never got over that anointing. What anointing? The anointing when Samuel came to him with that horn of oil and he anointed him as the next king when still Saul was king and it was some time before he started to serve but he never got over that anointing and he said, I wasn't anointed by Samuel. He said, but I was anointed by the God of Israel. Can I tell you there's nothing like being saved, picked up and brought up and being anointed by God. That sweet anointing that comes in our life by the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost, that's something you won't get over and it'll go with you to your grave. And he said, also I've got a song. He couldn't stop writing the songs about the Lord that had saved him. And he said, if I can tell you anything, he said, I would like to express three simple things to you. Three things. He said, first of all, in my last words, I want it recorded. God's word is inspired. Where do you get that from? Well, look, if you will, in verse two, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. Now bear in mind, the Bible's being recorded when David was living and the record is being given by David and David is one of the penmen that God used that was anointed by the spirit of the Lord to write down the words that we read, that we preach from, that we write songs from to this day. So he said, it came about through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We now have a complete canon or a complete Bible that has been completed entirely. But yet you'll find that it is just as important for us as it was for David. There are times in our life where we need the Spirit of God to bring a word of God into our mouth to help us at the time we need it the most. And the Holy Spirit knows that perfect time, that perfect verse, and he knows exactly what you need. And he said, at the end of my life, I found out the scripture is inspired just like I believed it to be all of my life. See, we not only preach it while we're living, then we're able to experience it while we're dying. And he's saying the word of God is anointed by God, by the spirit of God, just as all scripture was given by inspiration of God. Just as holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says this word of God is life. This word of God is encouragement. This word of God is help in the time of need. And this word of God will anchor your soul in the time of death. He said, it comes from inspiration of the scripture. And he said, not only that, but look at the next verse. He says, the God of Israel, capital G-O-D. That makes all the difference. Lots of gods, but there's only one true and living God. But he didn't stop there. He went on in the next phrase to say, the rock of Israel. Notice the word rock is capitalized in your Bible. God is capitalized, rock is capitalized. Well, why would he make reference 
to God and a rock. Because he said, not only do I have the inspiration of scripture, but he said, also I know the Savior. And I can identify the Savior. And he gives us his identification. He uses in the Old Testament a phrase that is repeated in the New Testament. When he refers to the rock, he is referring to our Savior that is yet to come in David's time, but yet he's saying the Savior is the rock. Do you remember what the New Testament writer said? They all did drink of that water from the rock and that rock that followed them was Christ. So what he's saying is I want to identify to you he is the Savior, the only Savior. He still brings salvation. He still changes lives and saves souls. He is the Savior of the world and his name is Jesus. So he says, I also want to give you identification of the Savior. Wouldn't it be terrible, terrible to spend your whole life, invest your time, go through all of the years and get to the end and realize you'd followed a a wrong savior or a false God. Be a horrible thing to have to confront. But yet people are doing it not by the millions, but by the billions around the world. Today, I'm not embarrassed to tell you there's only one way to heaven and there's only one person that can save you and he is the rock and everything else that you build on is sinking sand and shifting sand and if you're gonna make it to heaven, you're gonna have to trust Jesus as your savior because there's no other way except to build your life on the rock. So it's Jesus. Without him in the hour of death, you're in trouble. But he not only says that, but here to me is one of the most powerful points that he makes at the end of life. At the end of verse three, really in the middle of that verse, it's like he changed thoughts. He talks about Jesus, the rock, speaking to him. And then he starts talking about just people. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. See, that's why we're in a mess in America today. People don't fear God anymore. We have no fear of God. You know, we ought to have a healthy respect for the Lord. After all, if he takes your breath away, you're done. If he takes his hand off of you, you're done. You're not your own. You belong to him. He bought you with a price. You're his. The very breath that you're breathing right now, he gives to you. He's in control of all of it. And he said, they fear God. And then he goes on to say, and he shall be as the light of the morning, the just people. And when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, he said, your life is gonna shine brightly if you're just. And he said also, it's like the tender grass springing out of the earth by a clear shining after the rain. He said that just person springs forth above everyone else. They rise higher than everyone else. Now, we all agree with that. 
God's people are good people. And just people are good people. And just people in the society we live today, they're head and shoulders above everyone else. And here they are now, they're springing up. But here's the phrase that caught me. Then he goes to his house. Now he just told you what a just person should be and what God will do for a just person. But then he gets to his house and he says, my house be not so with God. He said, everything that I just told you, my house wasn't like that. My house wasn't just. My house was a mess. My life was a mess. He said, there wasn't anything just about me. I wasn't being raised up in any way. I wasn't being lifted up in any way. My house wasn't just at all. It be not so with God. He said, I wasn't where God wanted me to be. Are you where God wants you to be today? You say, well, how can I know? Ask him. That's all you have to do. Don't ask me. You ask him. If things aren't right, I promise you, he will let you know what's not right in your life. He doesn't want to keep you in the dark about your spiritual standing with him. He wants us all to be right with him. If you want to know, just ask God. He'll tell you. And he said, I know I'm dying. I know what my life has been. I remember what I've been. He said, I know how I failed God. He knew his sins and I'm not going to categorize it, but he knew all of it. He said, I wasn't a just man. Did terrible things. It was not so with God. One word changed everything. My house be not so with God. Yet. Yet he hath made me with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Hmm. Did you get the picture? He's saying, I don't deserve this. My house was not the house of a just person. I don't know if this is not, let me, just, let me just bring the point to you. He said, I'm glad that God had a place for an inclusion of sinners. Even though that I was not right with God, he still let me in. He still included me. He still made a covenant with me when I was not worthy of a covenant and he had no obligation to me whatsoever he still chose to forgive me and to let me in. I think there's some folks that would agree with me today that we're sure not worthy to be part of this wonderful family of God for the life that we have lived and the unjust things that we have done. But hallelujah, I'm glad he included me and he made an everlasting covenant, a covenant that goes beyond death and reaches into eternity. And the Lord says, my word is sure. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand and my covenant is sure. You're forgiven by the blood. You're saved by Jesus Christ. There is a heaven and there is a better life. It's sure. 
A Christian lay dying. Friends gathered around. He'd gone into a coma for several hours and suddenly awakened. When he awakened, he started to focus his eyes and look around. And he said, I still live. I still live. Can I tell you something? There'll come a time, maybe in our life, where disease will lay hold of our body and we'll start in the valley of the shadow of death where the soul will moan at its last struggle. But the child of God will still be able to say, I still live. I still live. One day, the sun of our life will start to set. And suddenly as we stand with the golden hills of heaven before our eyes, the child of God will still be able to say, I still live. I still live. One day our garments will become moth-eaten. Our obituary will be forgotten. The flowers on our grave will fade. But the child of God will still be able to say, I still live. I still live. One day, this world will wear itself out and melt with the fervent heat and the flames. And the sun will become as black as the sackcloth of hair. And the moon will turn to blood and disappear into nothingness. But the redeemed of the Lord will still be able to say, I still live. I still live. One day heaven will be departed like a scroll. And in that day every mountain will disintegrate and dissolve into nothingness. Every island will be swallowed up into the sea and every star will fall from its socket. But the Christian will still be able to say, I still live. I still live. One day after all the works of men have vanished and passed away and all the kingdoms of the world have now been blotted out and forgotten forever, God can roll all the ages of eternity together and the precious child of God will still be able to say, I still live, I still live. Hallelujah, we've got a hope that is greater than anything that this world has to offer us and his name is Jesus. In my office, in my office, I have a little envelope. It is a letter written to me from my wife. And on the outside, It simply says this, do not open until I am gone. It's her last words to me. I told her, I said, honey, I'm going first. And she said, no, I'm going first. I said, okay, let's go together. Be sweet, wouldn't it? All of you couples that say, wouldn't it be sweet if the Lord just took us home together? I know by reality, because we have too many widows and widowers in this church, for me not to have some awareness, that's not always the case.
That's what we would want. But I'll guarantee you this. Those words that she penned, should she go first, will be the most precious to me of any other word. And I told her, I said, sweetheart, there's only one problem. She said, what? I said, I'm getting older and they say it's COVID fog. I don't know what it is, but I am so forgetful. And I said, I'll forget where I put the envelope. And she said, oh no. So we found a place till I know where it's at. Our last words are important. Now, if you were dying today, what would you want to tell your family? What would you want your loved ones to know? And by the way, we're not assured of the fact when we leave here today we could have just said in our final service and heard our final song. By the way, great song on heaven. I'm gonna hear a final song. I just soon hear one about heaven as anything else. And you'd be amazed how many family members tell me when meeting with them or talking with them before death about their loved one. I'm really not sure if they were saved or not. That's not the way to leave your family. Brian, as you come and you sing, today's invitation will be a little different. If you are by a friend, a family member, a loved one, and you haven't told them lately, you don't have to make a big show of it or a big deal of it. While he comes and while he sings, if you'd be kind enough to stand, you may want to just lean over and whisper in their ear something to this effect. By the way, should I go first and you remain? You don't have to worry. It's true. It's real. And I'm going. They need to know that. They need to know that you are saved and on your way to heaven. This isn't the best kept secret. It should be out to the whole world that you're saved and on your way to heaven. And then if you're not saved and on your way to heaven, what you ought to do is you ought to come and give your life to Christ today so you can tell your family or tell one of these altar workers that are praying with you, I'm ready to go. If anything happens, my last words is I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Amen.